Are you looking for inspiration and words of wisdom so you can go out and launch your own business? This is the Lost and Founded podcast, bringing you raw and relatable stories of successful entrepreneurs, committed startups and personal experiences that are here to inspire, inform and influence. My name is Nicola. And my name is Stephanie. Welcome to season three of the Lost and Founded podcast. We are so excited to be back. In this season, we're going to be spotlighting entrepreneurs with a purposeful business, highlighting their personal journey and recognizing the value which they create. To kick off season three, we're going to be speaking with Kyle Grant, founder of Oxwash. In 2013, Kyle found himself on his way back to the UK after working at NASA as a space engineer. Inspired by Elon Musk, he pursued a PhD at the University of Oxford, where he studied synthetic biology while self-schooling himself in entrepreneurship. At Oxford, Carl joined the university's rugby team, where he was given the task of washing the team's kits. It was this task that made him realise some of the faults and issues that came with doing laundry. From there, Oxwash was born. A long way from starting out with one bike, a spray-painted delivery bag and some Google Forms, Oxwash now operates in Oxford, London and Cambridge using sustainable technologies. They believe themselves to be the world's most simple, seamless and sustainable washing service. Welcome, Carl. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. That's quite the introduction. I'm really, really happy to be here with you today on the first of the great new series. We're excited to have you with us. Now let's kick off. Can you tell us a bit more about Oxwash and what your daily routine typically looks like? Mm, of course. Yes, and you've teed me up nicely with the intro. So Oxwash is a very simple business. We exist to break the paradox by which the cleaning of our clothes and textiles around the world pollutes the planet and us. We believe that is absolutely crazy. So we offer a service to both consumers and businesses at scale in the three cities you've mentioned, but also now nationwide, um, which we've recently just launched, to be able to conveniently and consciously offload the, uh, their washing requirements, but without that massive footprint of pollution um, and at a cheaper price, which is absolutely critical. So we do this by having three facilities that we affectionately call lagoons, which are big kind of SpaceX style facilities doing washing. Um, they're super cool. And the reason why they're called lagoons is because the floor is blue. <laughs> that's the only reason. Um, but if you hear me talking about lagoons, that's what the hell I'm talking about. Um, so we operate a vertically integrated model whereby we acquire customers ourselves, we collect their dirty washing from point A um, ourselves on electric cargo bikes or electric vans, depending on the size and where they clients are. We then bring them back to the lagoons, do the washing in the engine room of the business, which is where the super cool tech lies, um, and then deliver that back to our clients clean, either where we collected it or where they need it next. And we have been growing rapidly over the last couple of years and have found more recently that the wave of circular fashion models and circular economy is something that we really passionately believe in supporting. And actually, when it comes on to my daily routine, a lot of that at the moment is trying to keep up with the pace of new circular business models that are popping into existence. How can Oxwash support them? How can we tune our product and our service to completely break this paradox, make more of an impact, and of course, grow the business um, as much as possible? Other than that, I kind of like to get up early, do a bit of exercise when I go stir crazy, whether that's a run, a cycle, do some weights or whatever it is, or a swim, nearly drown, 
um, and then usually kind of popping between each of our sites. So in London, in Battersea, where our biggest lagoon is, or we have our first one in Oxford, um, or out and about meeting clients, which of course is, is one of the best parts of the, of the job. Although right now I find myself behind spreadsheets a lot because we're going through a fundraise. So making sure all our numbers add up and the DD process is completed is, is 99% of my day. But hopefully once that's all closed off in short order, hopefully by the time your listeners have heard this, then it'll be back to the front line, which I can't wait for. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you very much for explaining the whole lagoon term, because I do see it on socials and I was kind of like, mm, so I'm glad you opened with that. So <laughs> next question. So as I said, we're spotlighting purposeful businesses this season. And can you tell us what, because, you know, there's so many ways people define what the word purpose sort of means in terms of a business. So could you define what it actually means, a purposeful business to you and what makes Oxwash one? Mm, I think this is really simple. It's that the existence of the business does not purely exist to make money and actually exists to make a net positive impact in a particular domain of environmental or um, societal improvement. We try as best we can to do both, um, to provide a service that's more sustainable and far less impact than the way you can wash things at home or perhaps another service provider, but also do that in a way that treats our teams with respect and makes sure that we're giving people a living wage and a working lifestyle that's compatible with the modern world post-COVID, right? You know, things are the world is changing rapidly and dispersed teams and managing workloads and the mental stresses of, you know, the working professional world post-COVID is, is different. So we're trying to keep pace with that. Luckily, there are great frameworks that you can learn from. We're currently in the very, very last stage of receiving a B Corp accreditation, by which um, many of your listeners will have heard is a great accreditation that structures businesses in a way that legally, um, defines them as a purposeful business, not just for profit, which is critical. But behind that is a great framework of improvements that you can make to your employment and policies, to the way that you drive transparency down through the supply chain and accountability for emissions and water usage and pollution things. Um, we want to go a lot further. So at the core of our business, the purpose that we're currently absolutely fixated on is quantification of impact so that we can prove to the world we're not greenwashing, we actually do wash green. And that's quite a tough challenge. And that's where I see the big purpose right now. Focusing a bit more on ox washers processes, can you walk us through the actual sustainable process that takes place? Of course. So typically we break the process down into three main chunks. The first is logistics, you know, a massive industry and incredibly inefficient when it comes to um, carbon emissions. So right now, typically, if you want to move a bag of laundry from somewhere in a city to where it needs to be washed and then back again, everyone uses diesel vans, which, of course, provide congestion. They often are burning up um, diesel into CO2 at the back end, causing all sorts of particulate pollution just utterly pointless. So we from day one have always said we, we won't do that. We want to use a logistics capability and assets, i.e. vehicles, bikes, things like that, that don't contribute to pollution or congestion in city centres. So for our logistics, we use electric cargo bikes, a little bit like a love child between a plumber van and a push bike. They are awesome about 85% more efficient at moving each kilogram of washing around, um, but also hyper-visual, right? When you see these bikes flying around with a, a smiling rider um, on the back that's open to talking about the business and the mission, it's engaging. It's our primary customer acquisition channel. 
and it exemplifies our brand in the real world rather than just on social media or Google ads. Um, so that's the logistics portion. And we have driven that to net zero emission already. That was kind of the early, um, the early win um, that came out of the delivery backpack thesis, of course. Um, the second bucket is washing. And typically to clean an item of clothing, let's say it's a t-shirt, there are four main inputs to that function. The water that you use, the energy that you add to that system, and typically that's in the form of heat. So you're heating the water up. Then the mechanical energy to turn the drum and provide all the mechanical motion. And then also the final one, the fourth, is chemistry. Your detergents, your conditioners, and all sorts of other things that can be added, like de-stainers. Historically, the industry has looked at those four inputs and thought, well, hang on, water's cheap, gas is cheap, people are cheap, I'm just going to throw that in and no problem. In the modern world, all of those things are finite resources and the price of natural gas has more than quadrupled in the last quarter of the year, primarily because of the war in Ukraine, but also the underlying wave of wanting to diversify from fossil fuels, which is the right decision. So now that typical process in the market is under huge strain because that cost base for water, for energy, for natural gas to heat the system is, is skyrocketing. We don't do that. We wash cold, so we don't add any heat into the system. The detergents that we use are biodegradable, not toxic or carcinogenic, which is common in dry cleaning and the bleach used in commercial laundries. And we minimize all the mechanical motion in our machines using showers and other technologies that minimize energy input. All of that combined means that the carbon intensity of the washing system um, is 65% or more less than a traditional washing machine at home. In fact, the next best one at home. We like to, to benchmark ourselves against the closest competitor to not the average. Um, so that's something we've been really focused on. Our biggest problem now that we're tackling head on is the third bucket in the process, drying. Typically, this is done at home and at scale the same way, using a tumble dryer. Yes, you can use a, a drying line outside, but for much of the year in the UK, that does not work. Um, and tumble dryers are really inefficient. You're basically adding a lot of energy into a system to evaporate water from within and between the fibers of textiles and clothes. We are looking at other technologies which we're patenting at the moment using sound waves to remove water from clothing and textiles instead of heat. The energy savings are absolutely massive because you're not changing phase between a liquid and a gas and it's faster. So in the commercial process, of course, it's critical to be able to be high throughput. Um, right now, we still do use natural gas to heat air that we then pass through big tumble dryers, which are efficient, but still produce CO2. It's our only source of CO2 on our primary scope of emissions in the business. And we're absolutely dedicated to cutting that out by the end of next year. Okay, perfect. What you just said about all the tumble drying and everything kind of leads perfectly to the next question, because the next question was kind of saying, you know, you guys have such a great environmental impact. It's so nice to see. And, you know, being in Oxford for the past five years, I've kind of seen Oxwash grow from when I think I was at uni. I think maybe it was you who came to do a talk and you guys were still a lot smaller. And now, we kind of know you on a bigger scale level. So it's amazing. So besides the tumble drying, as you've just mentioned, is there any other steps that you have to further reduce the actual environmental impact of Oxwash at the moment? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think the 
the main one, as I mentioned, is, is that kind of carbon intensity of natural gas burning. But of course, as we scale, making sure that we maintain that low intensity at a national scale is very difficult. Um, so, you know, at the moment, we're partnering with DPD to do logistics nationwide and explicitly saying, please use electric vehicles for our collections and deliveries, which costs a slight premium because, of course, that that's an unusual service. But I think that's that's something that we can help by pushing requirements down into our supply chain. So when, when you look at the kind of scope of emissions of Oxwash, our primary level, we've got a real good handle on. Secondary and, and third scope emissions becomes much harder. How do our team commute into our lagoons, then provide the service to our customers, gets included in that scope three emissions. And we're now looking at okay, what can we do to completely eliminate that emission? Things like helping our team to cycle to work, maybe in the future we can look at electric transportation shuttles and things like that to our bigger facilities. And we, you have to keep that front of mind. So our new sustainability manager, Michelle, has been really going in amongst the weeds to build what we believe is probably the most granular carbon intensity model in our industry uh, worldwide, if not actually across lots of industries. And that will allow us to really find those key carbon pinch points and tackle them head on in a more strategic way. I really like what you're saying there, just making sure that you're sort of looking further afield, how your employees are getting to work and making sure that people that you employ to do other services for you are sort of still within your business's goals. So slightly focusing a bit more on you with this question how did you transition from being a NASA engineer to a founder mm, yeah <laughs> I guess washed up aerospace engineers the best way to put that um, so I I kind of cut my teeth as you mentioned in in the aerospace industry working over in the states at NASA on something called environmental control and life support systems how do you put a person in space and keep them alive and circularize the water that they drink and exude um, and we of course the carbon that they're breathing out and the oxygen they need to breathe in calories energy there's all sorts of inputs into um, life support and I really got the bug for systems engineering you know it's easy when the system is contained within a spacecraft but when the system is an industry like washing, it becomes much harder, but you could use the same approaches to pull and push different levers to drive efficiencies, um, especially in an unsexy industry. So the transition for me was more from that desire to take the knowledge from aerospace and apply it to an industry that was unsexy, but ubiquitous um, to make a big change and move the needle fast because typically it's those kind of back-end industrial estate processes or the things that we've grown to just accept that if we can innovate, we'll make the biggest difference against climate change. Um, so that was the, the kind of thesis behind why I wanted to start Oxwash. Okay, I like that. It sounds very, very driven. Like you knew quite early on kind of what you took, what you learned and you just directly applied it to what and like an issue in this case that you wanted to solve. That's really great. So now the team at Oxwash is always growing exponentially, you know, always see it popping about everywhere. So can you tell us more about the workplace culture you currently have at Oxwash and the team behind its many successes? Mm, of course. And I think it's worth caveating what I'm going to say with it's never perfect and we're not perfect, right? We don't get everything right. Um, but we do have a deep conviction around trying to set an example in the industry and the workplace in general for how to trust and you know grow and foster team members up from every position of the business into the future. 
um, something we're really proud of is that kind of ability for us to take somebody that joins as a rider, potentially on a bike or an operative within our facilities and bring them up through the, the, the ranks, so to speak, to management positions and, and above. And we've got several examples of that within the business. I think this comes down to a really simple adage, which is that you trust your team, right? Micromanagement and things like that just don't, they can't exist in a world where we have software engineers across the country, potentially abroad in the not too distant future, teams within the lagoons, teams across multiple lagoons. You know, it is inefficient to micromanage and people do their best work when they're given freedom to operate, freedom to make mistakes, but then improve and learn and a completely blameless culture, which is tough. You have to constantly work at it. Um, I think one of our biggest failings that we're, we are tackling, and it's getting much better rapidly, is our diversity and inclusion. You know, we set ourselves really high standards for this across all levels of the business. And it is something that is tricky because the structures between what you want to achieve and what's legally <laughs> bounded and, and where positive discrimination lies is a really grey area. And, and we're learning a lot about this through talking to peers in other industries and our team you know, as well around how, how do we find people that are from minority backgrounds or have, you know, different cognitive ability sets that we can bring in. It's something that I find fascinating. And luckily, we've got a really strong DNI team within the business driving that forwards. But hopefully we can just keep that culture as we scale, as you've said, exponentially. Part of your answer there is actually going to probably lead quite nicely into this next question. Um, how do you manage to look over and keep track of Oxwash across London, Oxford and Cambridge? And how do you effectively uh, manage your time and workload between these locations? Mm. So the first part of that question is something we, we tackled earlier this year, and it's going really well, which is how do you align everyone within the business to certain objectives and key results? Um, famous, you know, de deployed at Google and Yahoo and SpaceX as well, actually, that OKR framework works for some businesses, not others. We brought it into the business in Q1 of this year, and it's been a huge success because then it's very easy to have the mission at the top, i.e. absolutely nail net zero laundry, well, washing, laundry and wet cleaning. And then how do we tackle that with strategic objectives around, you know, minimizing CO2 intensity, scaling across the UK, certain top line revenue targets, but then it, you're able to map everybody within the team to those strategic targets so that you can go into the system, look at who's working on what key results and, and how can you help them where those lines overlap. Of course, that means that also there's complete freedom for ideation within the team. So if I'm um, a rider on the bike, I think, hang on a minute, wouldn't it be super cool if the bikes had, I don't know, a Google tag on them so that if somebody saw the bike, then when on Google, they see an advert for Oxwash to increase in, in, increase conversion, an idea that somebody did have the other day. We can find through our structure exactly who needs to take that and, and execute. It takes work, though. You know, you've got to really bring that structure into the business. And it helps strategically for me and the rest of the leadership team to make sure that we set objectives that we can then track in real time and see you know, how are each of our projects and key results trending, which ones are at risk and therefore need a bit more of our attention and bandwidth and potentially capital and budget to unblock. Whereas if you don't have that, it's incredibly difficult. And typically the person that shouts the loudest within the team gets attention, which is not democratic, of course. So that structure is going well. It's really helping me and the senior leadership team to, to 
you know, track progress and see what's happening at each of our sites. And we've got a lot of OKR dashboards and things like that that help visualize all of those metrics. Um, in terms of the second part of your question, time management is a constant battle for me. Um, typically, my calendar runs my life. And if there's a free slot within a blink of an eye, it's been filled by either a team member that needs to touch base on something or, you know, a, a, an investor that wants to you know, chat about a particular introduction or whatever it is. So I think something I've learned as, as I've kind of grown within the role is making that time to do nothing and just think and ideate and actually step back out of the day-to-day -day rigmarole of the business and think more strategically. I do that when I'm doing exercise in the mornings or potentially in kind of caffeine and trampoline mode where I'm having a coffee and jumping on particular tasks that need to be done ASAP. Um, but it's something I would really suggest people build into their days and don't sacrifice it under any circumstances. Sounds like you're a very busy person. I can only imagine how sometimes you just need a moment to like breathe and take it all in. Hmm. Now, when you were talking earlier about, you know, the different processes, there was the whole side of chemicals and Oxwash is powered by Vanish, who obviously is who you use in terms of the chemical side. Can you tell us a bit more about this partnership, how it actually came about and what of their core values made you want to actually work with them? Mm, of course. Yeah. So to, to give you the sit rep on that partnership, it's very much a R&D strategic partnership for us. So very early on when we were focused on that washing um, bucket that I mentioned in the process, we realized we needed absolutely A grade formulations for the chemistry to clean items, make whites whiter, of course, remove stains, which is vanishes modus operandi. And we looked at the kind of marketplace of who has the best performance and we very quickly identified the leaders in that, which brands you'll have heard of before. But then we went one step deeper and said, okay, look, we would like to understand more about your sustainability metrics, what you're trying to drive into the future. What does your R&D pipeline look like? How much impetus do you put into the use of green surfactants and all of these kind of key parts of the puzzle? And Vanish just really stood out for us as some a team of people and a brand that really believe in a renewably created and sustainable formulation for their products. We have a unique process that we were able to bring to the table and say, hey, look, we've got the future of washing. You want to make the future of stain removal. We should definitely collaborate so that the two are compatible, um, which we did. So that's now over a year old, that partnership. And we're constantly iterating different formulations, different ways of using products and it's going really, really well. You know, we, we, we love working with them and they're a great team and deeply, deeply purpose-driven, which is unusual for an FMCG. They're one of the few that actually practice what they preach. That's really interesting to hear, actually. You've briefly mentioned a moment ago about, obviously, your schedule is quite tightly packed day to day. Uh, what does your support system look like to sort of help you get through the days? Yeah, so... The best way I can put this and the advice that I got from um, a very good CEO was that you want to make sure you absolutely focus on um, fostering maybe five maximum line reports to you, um, any more than that. And you have a law of diminishing returns where you just can't give people the attention and support that they need to flourish within their roles. So I have that many um, kind of line um, management positions, if you like, reports and I over-index my time, making sure that they have what they need and any advice and an open door 
Um, but of course, if they just need to get on with whatever it is that they're focused on, then I get that away because you want to hire good people that know better in how to execute than you do in their particular remit and you give them the resources that they need, the support they need, and you get out of the way. And that's the only way to, to lead a team. That makes sense. So I think it might have been not last year, the year before, I can't remember exactly, but you were part of Forbes 30 under 30, which is a great achievement. Congratulations. What does this mean to you? And how did you actually celebrate this win? Because a lot of people, you know, whether it's a small win or a big win, some people just say, you know, take it as it comes and they don't really do anything, but some people really enjoy that and it helps motivate, you know, their next moves and keep them going. So did you do anything special? Mm, yeah, thank you. That's really sweet. And um, no, it, it was a big win. And I think what really touched me is that um, my, my co-founder Tom and I, and actually the, the leadership team at that time as well, really just kind of came around that um, award as a win for the team. Yeah, sure, it's it's one person's name on it. Uh, Tom would have got it if he was under 30. That's the frustration, is that he deserves it far, far more. Uh, but unfortunately, he was, was over 30 at the time, so took one for the team, so to speak. Um, and I remember we did celebrate it with a, a kind of barbecue that I... I, I did outside our lagoon in Oxford at the time, just kind of gave gave the team a bit of a break in the sunshine, probably around the kind of May time, um, which was amazing. You know, it, it was nice that it wasn't a personal achievement, it was a team achievement. And I think that when you see current listers um, receiving awards, it's often that they see it as a team win rather than just an individual win, which is absolutely what it is. I think you briefly touched on this earlier on as well. Um, what does the future look like for Oxwash? And do you aim to open in other UK cities or expand globally? Mm, of course. So it's a two-phase plan. Phase one is that we really want to corner the UK market and become the ubiquitous washing platform in the same way that Uber has for cars, Airbnb for um, accommodation and delivery for food. And we really want to move and power um, multiple different washing use cases, whether it's a young mum at home that has laundry up above her eyeballs um, to a hotel chain that's deeply committed to minimising their water and energy usage. Um, for us, they're very similar, if not identical. They have dirty items somewhere that need to be cleaned and sent back. Um, and we can wash all of those items through our process in 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 one coherent way. Um, so right now we are in phase one rolling out across the UK, identifying which cities really want Oxwash through organic traffic. And right now anyone can go onto oxwash.com and get a washing service um, in some form or another. We are building out different um, convenient methods for this. If you live in certain areas, we can collect and deliver to your door or your business's door. Um, or you can use a locker system or you can use post as well. You know, whatever's the most convenient for whoever it is that needs washing. Um, so that's our kind of first plan. And then phase two is to take our SOPs and the structure of how we clean and license that to really move the needle in the industry. So we draw a lot of comparisons between ourselves and Ocado, the food delivery giant here in the UK. Um, they do exactly the same thing in that they license the robotics, the automation, and actually the sustainability platforms that power grocery deliveries to the biggest players worldwide that have enabled them to obviously grow their top line, but more importantly, get food to those who need it most at a good price globally. Um, and we want to do exactly the same, but with washing. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I think it would be great in a few years to see. I think 
like the core concept and everything that Oxbox does could do really well in like I'm, I'm from Kenya so a lot of the African countries actually would benefit from that concept and how you focus on that sustainability because it's not quite as highly aware as it is here you know sort of the issue so I think if you guys could ever get into that market it would have such a great impact on those countries so I look forward to seeing where you guys get to so now next section kind of just focuses a little bit about you you know a bit of your hobbies your mindset so I'm sure it's very rare, but when you do get a chance to go on a break and actually have a holiday, what do you like to do? Is there anywhere specific that you like to visit or anywhere have coming up on your bucket list? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think those rare occasions I really cherish. And my girlfriend and I typically um, try to find some coastline as fast as possible um, and then jump in the sea. So either that's down on the Isle of Wight where my, my mum and dad currently live, uh, which is idyllic in the summer, not so in the winter, unfortunately, but usually if I have a, a window, we'll, we'll shoot down there and see the folks and I'll jump in and do some surfing um, on the west coast of the island, which is absolutely fab. Otherwise it's getting on two wheels, you know, get out into the countryside on, on a bike uh, where of course you have to disconnect from the digital world and, and, and think and enjoy the fresh air. And I love getting out and about. We're blessed here in, in Oxfordshire that you've got the Cotswolds to the north, you know, the Chilterns to the south, it is, amazing um, to just cycle through and I find that really really refreshing occasionally I think if, if I could choose a bucket list destination I get to go to unusual places I'd absolutely love to go to New Zealand at some stage I think the Oxwash thesis and our view on the world will probably really resonate there with the culture and um, I'd like to experience that so hopefully that won't be too far away Oh, lovely. Um, everyone needs a digital detox at some point or another. <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up and did this stay consistent as you grew older? Yeah, I mean, my, my parents were veterinary surgeons and, you know, from a very young age, I wanted to be a vet and follow in mum and dad's footsteps. And that kind of love of animals transitioned to just a love of nature in general. Um, unfortunately, I buggered up my animals pretty badly um, and then kind of hit the drawing board and then reset after a while into the aerospace um, industry and managed to pull the grades up again. Um, so I've always had that as a deep kind of core part of what I believe in and I think as a scientist and a pragmatist, albeit you know very optimistic, the climate collapse is you know, barreling towards us. And I think a lot of the flux that we see in the media around war and everything right now is only going to get bigger and far, far scarier rapidly in the future. And I think that there's this disconnect between the popular opinion of climate change and what, what's coming down the pipe in terms of displacement of people, water scarcity, resource scarcity, you know, more pandemics and anything I can do to help assuage that, move the needle the opposite direction. And in some ways maybe create a beacon that inspires other people to do similar things in other industries um, really excites me and that's that's kind of why I get up get up and get out of bed in the morning. Amazing well if it helps just with that that little paragraph you said I feel more inspired so I guess it's working somehow so <laughs> final question what is one piece of wisdom that you could share with our listeners especially for those who are looking to start their own sustainable business or currently already have one but really want to stay focused and driven, you know, to keep sustainability at the core of their business. Do you have any advice for them? Mm, I think two slightly different pieces of advice. I think for people thinking about it, just do it. You know, the hardest step is the first one. And I speak to a lot of people, they're like, yeah, I really want to do this, really want to do this. And I ask, why are you not doing this? And typically, people are making excuses for themselves. And there's often no 
real tangible reason other than maybe just risk aversion. Um, I think you lose nothing by trying, you know, even if it's a failure the first time round, that's good data to improve the second time round, which comes on to my second point for people still trying to focus on sustainability and impact in their existing business is that nobody's got this nailed down, right? It is a complex problem. And just doing your best is 98% of the problem, keeping that core prism and lens of sustainability with everything you do, the net output will be a positive one. Even if you think actually in this particular instance, I don't feel like I've accomplished it, whether it's packaging or supply chain or whatever. Um, and I think it's a perspective and a point of view that you need to hold at the core rather than any particular output. Um, and the key thing is making sure that as you grow your team, you hire for that same outlook and find that within that core team. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had was from the brothers that founded Stripe, the payments platform. Um, and they said it took them 80% of their time finding the first 20 hires in that business to make sure that that culture of wanting to democratize payments uh, was absolutely shared at the core. Even though they're all very, very different people, they shared that belief. And I think as you grow a business, find people and surround yourself with people that share that same purpose and, and impact mantra. That's some really brilliant advice. Thank you, Carl. And that actually concludes our podcast interview for today. Thank you so much for joining us. We have loved speaking to you and it's been a pleasure to have you open the season three Boston Founded podcast. Where can our audience find out more about yourself and Oxwatch to keep up with your amazing journey? I think probably the best place would be on our um, website, obviously oxwatch.com. And we do try to keep our um, Oxwatch LinkedIn humming with any good updates. Um, and actually our new social media team are really on it as well, which is brilliant. So please feel free if any of your listeners wanted to reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Always happy to help and connect and offer any advice if it's useful. And thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Carl. It's been a pleasure. This has been the Lost and Founded podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure to head over to Instagram and let us know how you found it at Lost and Founded Pod. Wherever you listen to your podcast, be sure to follow and be notified about more inspiring stories and experiences.